Okay, we're recording. Hey, Paul. Good afternoon, Sherry. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. What are you up to? What am I up to? I am hanging out. I don't already know. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the people listening don't. Hang on. I'm hanging out in my office at the close of a delightful week. It's Friday afternoon. It is Friday afternoon. Wrapping up the week this way like this. I think it's a good way. You know, we used to talk a lot of... A lot of buzz about Podcast Tuesday, but Podcast Friday could be a thing. I think they both have their advantages. Um, I think the podcasts we record on Monday and Tuesday, we might not have any challenges with verbosity. Mm, The mm -hmm. podcast on Friday afternoon, (laughs) (laughs) we might be a little, what do do you say? Shorter of phrase or uh, lean of expression. Lean Lean, of expression. expression. Yeah. Yeah. We'll save words for next time. Yeah. We'll get right to it this time, but maybe we won't. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. So, yeah. What you been up to? Uh, just did a workshop. <gasps> Me on too. On the facilitation side of it, um, the Compassion One Hundred and One workshop. Mm-hmm. We just uh, we just wrapped that up here on the campus. Yeah. So and what is it went really well? What is Compassion One Hundred and One? What an interesting question. I should know the answer to this, considering. Um, but when we were so. Backstory, fun fact, we mm-hmm. have three compassion workshops we're offering this semester on the campus for faculty and staff. Yes. 101, 102, and 201. And I think we numbered them that way because we tried we're to be academics. cute. Yeah, academics who tried to be cute, cute right? Yeah. Um, and uh, clever and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, well, naturally, what is the beginning of compassion? Where does compassion start? And so I think we titled this one, we subtitled it Mindful Awareness. We did. And so there was about the relationship with um, being aware of what's going on and using that awareness in the, uh, what would you say, the case study. Yeah. The, the, the user case of, of mindful awareness is great. So what, do you, what is it used for? You know, and one of the ways you can use it is to cultivate. Cultivating compassion, mm-hmm. right? And, and cultivating true Honest compassion, not just performative compassion. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting because at one point, I think I said to the group, like, when you go home today, you can tell everyone that you spent the day suffering with others. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, though, because, like, man, I had such a great day today, and I spent the whole day talking about suffering. Suffering, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, Fun fact for the listener, we're into the English language. So the word compassion literally translates into suffering with or suffering together. Mm-hmm. The calm is the together and the passion, suffering. So yeah. The word literally means suffering together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think we kind of had to break into that for a little bit because people show up like for a workshop about compassion. And they're like, oh, I'm in a workshop about being nice. No, nope. that's not what this is. It's not about doing anything. It's about feeling. It's not about donating. It's not about helping. It's not about any of that and um when that when those words are said oftentimes people go what mm-hmm. you know yeah. why why do it if you're not going to do anything about it i mean you have you have you know arms and legs and you can you can do things about the suffering of others and it's like yes you can let's not confuse action with the true felt sense of compassion though yeah. so let's start by we'll get into like what we do with our words and our actions later for now, let's just work on, keep it simple. What is it? What does it feel like? How do you tap into it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How do you sit with it? 
Yeah. And that's where mindful, because it's like, that's where mindful awareness comes in. How mm-hmm. do you, how do you, uh, once you're in that space of being able to witness things and to hold things, what happens when the suffering of others and your own suffering is um, brought to heart and mind? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's that second part, the compassion for self, um, that I've personally been spending a lot of time sort of. You know, you have. With. You have. I have. That self-compassion part. To be honest. Mm-hmm. I've noticed. You, yeah. Great. Well, because I don't think I've been a particularly self-compassionate person um, in my life. All right, listeners, raise your hand if you have not been a very self-compassionate person. (laughs) I suspect I'm not alone. Yeah, I suspect that's true. Right. Unless you're driving, in which case, keep your hands on the wheel. Yeah. Well, they could raise one hand. Yeah, raise one hand. Right. From the the 10 or 2 position. Right, preferably, yes. But yeah, so I think it's really interesting to spend time thinking about self-compassion because I really feel like I've had to learn that it's even a thing that's like, I think if I am sort of in my habituated state and somebody says, have some self-compassion, I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, right. I, right. like I wouldn't know where to start now. I think I do, yeah. but I think the idea of like, well, I don't have time for self-compassion. Um, yeah. So what do who you want? Who wants to pity themselves? Right. Right, it sounds like such a horrible thing to spend time I mean, doing. We don't want, yeah, we don't. Other, we don't want other people to pity us. Why would we want to be pitiful? Yeah. So like, who's got time for that nonsense? Right. Well, because I have a part of me wallowing in my own. Yeah, I have a suffering. Who wants it? I have a very loud part of me that really wants me to focus on the good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And really wants me to just keep going right like it's and it's a survivor part right like it's part of me that is like hey we're we've got things to do but so that part really wants to take away opportunities to have self-compassion because it's like threatened by Mm -hmm. like and so the question is like, what what do we think is going to happen if we offer ourselves self compassion? Yeah, and that's a blocker for some people. I yeah. mean, this this kind of mental image of you're going to have to start wearing like you were just saying how you're wearing a lot of flowy clothes. I'm going to have to start wearing a lot of flowy clothes, <laughs> flowy hippie clothes, and I'm going to have to start being all soft, and I'm going to lose my edge, and I'm just going to want to eat tofu and you know hug trees all day. Right. Which sounds lovely. All of that sounds lovely to me. I don't know. They're a little sounds, scratchy. I was going to say, well, it sounds pretty good so far. Um, I am but it's like, it's this, I'm going to lose my edge. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be competitive. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to give up on everything. I mean, why even bother getting out of bed? Yeah. If I'm just going to sort of Pollyanna my way in this self-compassion kind of way. Yeah. Gross. You know, who needs it? Um who needs it? So I'm trying to do something here. I ain't got time for that. Yeah. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Right. I got to make my mark, so I ain't yeah. got time for compassion here. Yeah. Self or otherwise. No. Yeah, because I like to I'm think to of win. myself. I'm trying to win over here, you know? Right. <laughs> I'm winning. Yeah, I like to think of myself as being really scrappy. 
And so like the idea of being scrappy and the idea of being self-compassionate are just like at it's, odds. It, it's counter to, it's counterintuitive to grit. It's yeah. counter to grit. Yeah. And, you know, sustaining yeah. motivation, which is not true by the way, but. But do you think it's worth it? Uh, compassion? Yeah. Self- oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, totally. Uh, especially when thinking about, I mean, we'll start with some of the obvious case cases with this. I am going to be far more effective in everything I do if I get a good night's sleep and I feed myself when I'm hungry. Uh-huh. Actual food that is not crap. Yeah. And I stay well hydrated. All of these things are self-compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if I, you know, when, I, when I'm tired, I sleep. When I'm thirsty, I drink. When I'm hungry, I'll eat. You know, mm-hmm. um, give the body what it needs. Um, kindly and compassionately. Higher quality resources are good if you can get them. You know, um, know when you need to take a little bit of time and chill. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're working, working. When you're resting, rest. When you're spending time with others, spend time with others. Yeah. Right? Let the Let the thing in front of you... Listen to what the the need is, mm-hmm. you know, and and act accordingly. And you know, like I'm a better everything if I get a good night's sleep. Yeah. And so I'm not gonna, you know, stay up till two in the morning, three in the morning, or pull some all nighter, hustling, trying to get something done when I know it's just gonna be crap. And the best thing I can do for everyone, including myself, joyfully, is go the hell to bed. Mm-hmm. You know. So in that regard, hell yeah. You know, I can only operate as well as um, the resources that my body has. So your car is only as efficient as, you know, its its condition in which mm-hmm. it's kept. Yeah. My body's no different. Well, and I think we're, <clears throat> we're so able to offer, like, compassion to the newest humans, right? Like, yeah, so right. Babies. Babies, totally. Right? Like, so we look at a baby and the, the baby starts crying and we say oh, you just need to go to sleep. Like, you're just so tired, right? Um, But then we turn it on ourselves. And I think you and I see this a lot, like working with college students, Yeah, right? right. Like, what gets turned on the self is, come on, wimp, you got to stay up and get this done. If we treated babies like we treated ourselves, child protective services would be brought in in no short order. Absolutely. We'd be arrested for child endangerment and child abuse, you know, like seriously. Right. But we, you know, we treat we right. treat ourselves with less humanity. Yeah, and we can say, well, the baby can't take care of itself. You know, you have to be nice to it. It's like, it doesn't neither sound like can you. Yeah, neither can <laughs> you. It doesn't sound like you can, you know, yeah. can either. Yeah. You know? It doesn't At sound least, like you can protect yourself from yourself either. Yeah, and I mean, I think, like, it's... <sighs> the thing is, like... You know, it's like we get socialized, like, well, you don't just scream and cry about everything you need. I think you actually do. Yeah, like right, something right, in right. you, if your needs are not met, something in you is screaming or yeah. crying. Yeah, yeah. You might not be doing it loudly, publicly, but like something's screaming. Yeah, the body has ways to let you know what it what it's what it's looking sure for. Does. Yeah, you know whether whether that's something physical, food, water, whatever, or something intangible. The body right. has ways of letting us know. Um, but I mean, to to be able to respond, we must be in contact and in touch with, and receptive and perceptive to what our body is doing. Ergo, 
mindful awareness, you know, how do you pay attention? So it's not just directing one's mind to um, the suffering of others, but it's noticing what happens yeah. as we do that so we can start to become more aware of what uh, calls for compassion feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it all seems to come down to like pay attention and respond to the suffering mm-hmm. that you observe. Um, which is interesting because a big part of our workshop today was about the fact that compassion is more so about witnessing than it yeah. is about action. Right. Um, and I think that's important because we have to slow down and, and pause. Like, I think I know there have been times in my life where I have not operated at a speed where I could consider either my own suffering or the suffering of those that I encountered. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually really dangerous. How so? so? I don't disagree. Yeah, I think, well, one, I think my own behavior was kind of like, not to speak sort of off, like really over the top, but it was destructive, Mm. right? Like, I did not take care of myself. You were I, operating at a high rate, right, of output, so much so that... Yeah, so I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating nourishing food, I wasn't hydrating, you know, and I was I was sick a lot. Oh, yeah. Because the body was like, hey, hey, hey! Yeah. You know? Um, but then, you know, the impact of that is, um, you know... I'm really tired all the time. I'm starving half the time. And so how do I show up for the people in my life? Poorly. Poorly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, poorly. Like, yeah. Um, So yeah, I think it's dangerous because I I can't show up for the people in my life or even just the randos who I encounter in life. Yeah. Well, if I haven't taking care of myself. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I think uh, it might be so, not that it's easy, but easier for people to immediately take action um, when suffering is seen. Mm-hmm. It's like you just come like, totally skip around like the feeling of it and the, and the patience with it sometimes and jump right into trying to address it. And as we said in the workshop today, there are circumstances that call for immediate action. And Absolutely. when you're in those situations, by all means, take them. Mm-hmm. We can only encourage that, you know. Um, but it, there are times when the pause is worth taking and that immediately jumping into action prevents one from seeing that compassion for self is something that plays into this mm-hmm. very well, too. And the most compassionate things you can do for other people is self-compassion for your, you know, self-compassion, compassion for self. The better you treat yourself, the better you'll be able to show up for people around you to work with them on what, what their sufferings are. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't do that for the simple reason that they don't feel like they deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not that people don't want to be well fed and well rested. They they do, but it seems like such a deal breaker 
you know, with my own students in class, if they're not doing particularly well in class and they're asking me what they can do to, for their grade to improve, it's like, you got to give me at least seven hours sleep a night. Oh, no, I could never do that. And it's like, well, why not? And they'll say everything from, I'm too busy. I got other stuff going on. Um, I need to study. I, how, how could sleeping more and taking that time away from study possibly improve my grade? And mm-hmm. trust me, it doesn't seem to be enough to get, yeah. <laughs> to get them to do it. But it's like, if you're sleeping three hours a night, I can't help you. Yeah. You know, the, your brain's not working right. Like you, you, your ability to actually retain information and process it and integrate it is not is not there at three hours a night. Right. Like or who you are. And, and it's ridiculous because we understand this with non-human things. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. No one is going to really like put all the fault on the vehicle if the vehicle fails to start if the human has not put gas in it. Right. Right. If you work on your cell phone all day and you don't charge it, you're not going to be surprised that you can't use it tomorrow. It's true. Right. But we're so surprised that the uncharged human doesn't work. Yeah, I'm so grouchy. You know, why am I so grouchy? It's like, well, you haven't eaten. Mm-hmm. It's two in the afternoon and you haven't Yeah. Haven't had anything to Feed eat. The human, Feed the human, recharge the human. Yeah. So and a lot of people see that it's like super inconvenient stuff. It's like, oh, I have to sleep. Oh, I have to eat. Oh. Yeah. And if I go and if I drink a lot of water and say hydrate, then I have to pee a lot and that's inconvenient. So, uh, and yeah, uh, it's just easier if I just don't. It's like mm. I used to talk about my body this way, like as it was as though it was this inconvenient thing. And I've probably talked about this on the podcast before, like this inconvenient thing that got in the way of what I really was trying to do, which was just, you know, brain stuff all the time. Right, right. Um, and like when I start thinking about the fact that my brain is just one part of my whole meat suit, the fact that I privilege like just that one part right, right, is right. super unfair, right? Like, you know, my my heart's been working just as hard. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so yeah. Nobody around these parts is gonna call you on it though. Oh no. We're at an institution of higher education, for goodness sakes. Right, which means we stay above the neck. Yeah, we stay above the neck. And, I mean, nobody nobody around these parts is going to flinch at that. I would say nobody in the Western world is going to flinch at that because we're a very up above the neck society. You know, we mm-hmm. do everything we do to try to shove all the other stuff out of the way, I think. Why is for the that? intellectual supremacy. Why are we so afraid of the thing that is completely natural and has been more a part of like the history of the species, <laughs> really. In, in, intellect, human intellect is responsible for more human suffering than anything else in, in history. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's why like, are well, we? Well, you can make vaccines. You can also make nuclear bombs, and you can, you know, you can. You can do math, you know, to balance a checkbook, but you can also attack people with it. And you, yeah, it's a dangerous weapon. It's a very, it's a, it's a very dangerous tool. Um, that can be used for good, can be used for literal evil, you know. And 
it's it's how the how the equipment is wielded that determines its outcome. But you know, I, I tell this a lot of times to my classes. You know, especially speaking to the students that are just really above the neck, mm-hmm. um, relying entirely on on intellectualism to um, to 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 solve all their problems and get them everything that they want, and um, essentially, what I say is, when you're a kid, when you're a baby, you know, and your narrative, intellectual storytelling mind boots up, you know, it it tells you very comforting things. You know what? I'll do the thing for all of us. You know, I am you. You are me. I am. You are your thoughts. Your thoughts are me. You can't get rid of me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, just let me let me do it. I'll do it. You know, and it's like and the same reason faculty have, you know, don't have very much influence on college campus any longer. It's not that it was taken, it was given away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you give away, you know, all this autonomy over to your thinking mind, thinking it's something fancy or something special. And it is, but the mind is shameless. It's not a good caretaker of, of, of the rest of you. Mm-hmm. And it will do everything it can to its own advancement, including punishing the rest of you, you know, for not giving it. It's, it's like the, the plant in Little Shop of Horrors, <laughs> you know, needs to be fed, you know, every however so often or bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, bad things are going to happen if you don't feed the thing. And so it's it's good, I think, to train the other parts of our body, you know, in, in what they're good at, feeling stuff, you know, being aware of the body, taking care of the body. How do I feel emotions in a healthy way and process them through without resorting to bad behavior or whatever it might be, or yelling at somebody, as the case may be. How do I treat myself and everyone appropriately, mm-hmm. given all the sources of information that come in, including the, the, the mind? I mean, and you had said this uh, quite a while ago, a number of years ago, you know, these breakthrough moments that people, when they start meditation practices, have. As soon as you really, as soon as you come to the realization that you actually have a mind, and mm-hmm. it's, it's something that you have, but it's not you, but it's something that, you're not in your mind. Your mind is in you, right? Yeah. It's you're bigger than it is. It's like that is profound, profound breakthrough. Yeah. Um, there's no going back from that. You know, once you cross that threshold, that's a one way. That's a one way door. It's like because once you realize that you have it, you know you, what you know is that you can ignore it. You can evaluate it. You can discern when it's giving you good advice and when it's giving you bad advice. Mm-hmm. You can realize. That you can recognize it that not it, it doesn't always tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. It makes tons of shit up, shamelessly, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not a truth teller; it's a storyteller, and mostly fiction. Yeah, if not entirely fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it, it's like you know, it's like the Crown, the TV show. It's like, well, it's sort of adapted from reality, but it's got a lot of took a lot of leeway with the truth to make this as entertaining as possible. But that's what your brain does. I mean, it, it takes all the stuff around it and it, how can I make this story as, how can I make what happened as entertaining as possible, taking broad license to add or subtract or reshuffle any way that it likes. Well, it has to tell a story worth your attention. Yeah. Right. So it's going to, it's going to connive as best it can right? right? To, to be compelling with it. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, it uses all the tools at its disposal, and it has many tools. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, the strongest among us, right? The strongest tool among it is is the one that tells you 
that you're separate. Yeah. You know, that you're that you're that you're separate from everything else. Yeah. Nothing 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 separates one person from another more than intellect. Well, so one of the things that's been really interesting for me recently is I've been reading this book called Anchored, which is largely about the nervous system, which explains why I've been quizzing you on the nervous There's system. There's only a biologist in the room. Right? <laughs> So I keep being like, I'm going to ask Paul 3,000 questions. I love the nervous. It's one of my favorite topics in Bio 102 to teach. Yeah, I'm going to sit in on your... It's a lot of fun. I'm going to sit in on your Bio 102 class when you ask that, or when you teach that. And I'm going to ask all the questions that your students aren't asking, because I have lots of questions. Nice. But anyway, so actually I may not, because I think I'm teaching at the same I live stream all my lectures on YouTube. Are you? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You have to have the link in order to see them now. Oh, maybe. I know a guy. Maybe he'll send Ooh. it to me. Um, but so I've been reading this book about the nervous system, and I've been really struck by the way that our nervous system, part of our you know mammal brain, helps us to connect with other people, other things, right? And so like... This idea that I'm coming to that we are literally wired for connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just starting to learn more about like co-regulation of the nervous system. Right. And this idea that like, like I've spent so much time trying to focus on self-soothing and how do I make myself like just chill out already? And then realizing. Like that? Was that the self-soothing? Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that works. Um Beat but, myself up until I'm soothed. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But realizing like there there are people and experiences that make, that have an impact on my nervous system that are not soothing. Yeah, right. But equally so, there are people and experiences that that connection, um, that reminder that we're, we're really not separate is what I need to soothe. Like, yeah. it mm-hmm. certainly is easier. It is. To co-regulate. It is. Yeah. Which is fascinating. It is. Yeah. Humans benefit from each other. They do. Isn't that weird? It is. Yeah. I mean, but that's a story of human evolution, though. You know, I mean, we're such, we're this, like, social species. You know, everything about humankind emerging is, you know, this is not... We are we are not to operate in isolation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you know the 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 weird thing about the intellectual mind and its relationship with compassion, though, is that I mean, folks out there they can see what you do, they can hear what you say, you know, your your words and your actions, the way you live your life, you know, all this is public for public consumption at all times. Except your thoughts; those are only for you, you know. <laughs> um, so that's your little inside inside the pocket kind of thing is you know just your just your intellect and your thoughts those are only for you um you don't have to share them so you got the secret cahoot relationship you know with the thinking mind um and so you know of course it's going to reinforce reinforce separateness mm-hmm. you know what it's going to do as loudly as possible for its own survival you know cuz um any any investigation that is made upon it is going to result in a demotion. Yeah. Well, but so it it it's it it obeys the Peter principle. It has risen to its level of incompetence. <laughs> right. Well, 
it's been promoted to its level of incompetence and now it's abusing power. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I was thinking because, yes, this idea like that our thoughts used to be kind of the sacred, hidden thing that we had, right? And you might journal, but you keep that like kind of secret. private, you know? Um, you, you we might, all have a filter, you know? Yeah, you might publish something, but you're only, you're going to selectively choose what you're sharing. And so one of the things that I think so weird about the advent of like basically the internet is like, as soon as we get the internet, what do humans decide would be really great? I know. What if I take my personal feelings and thoughts and share them with other people? Like, and so all of a sudden this idea of private and public gets mushy and we're all held accountable yeah. For the thoughts that maybe we've all had, right. but are now recorded. Yeah, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's horrifying to think. You know, it's horrifying to think about because, because then I mean, what happens is somebody else says, "Oh, I've had that thought too. Uh, I'm not alone in that. I must be right." And and so that's where you go down the troll, the troll hole, <sighs> you know. And that's where we get you know these fringe ridiculoids, you know, spouting nonsense and. You know, I knew those election machines were faulty because this other person said so. And it's like, oh my God. Right. Well, it, <laughs> so it just takes one person without good judgment on what to post. That's complete BS for other people to, you know, I've had that same thought. It's like, yeah, it's bullshit for you too. But it's so, it's resonating with somebody else because they've had that same bullshit thought. And yeah. So now you're off, you, now you have conspiracy in the bad way, in the wrong way. Right. Because, yeah, be, so instead of these thoughts that should just be like floating and lost to the to the ether where they belong. Right. <laughs> they're recorded and they're collected and then they're you know, we repeat things enough. It's like, you know, Beetlejuice, like, you know, they yeah. they stick around, they show up, yeah. they cause trouble. Um it's yeah. The irony is that we're doing exactly that right now. Yeah. So I, I do have to point that out. <laughs> You should point that out. It's like like we're doing right now. We're soaking in it now. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, but we know we're full this of shit, is, so it's fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're not taking any of this too seriously. I mean, you're right, though. Like, yeah. we've been doing this for years. We've been doing this for years, yeah. Yeah. That's our, that's our shtick, if nothing else is. Yeah. What are we thinking right now? Yeah. That's fun. That's good fun. But, I mean, that's the part of compassion, though. It's like... It, it, and we talked about this in the workshop. You also have to laugh at all of this. You know, it's like just because you're doing compassion practice doesn't mean you have to be all dour and, you know, I don't think anybody cried today. Nope. We, um, we managed. So th it, that is what it is. But, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a funeral in there. You know, it can be let's joyfully investigate compassion, even though it, it is at its you know, at its core, it's a it's a practice that recognizes suffering, but that doesn't mean we have to be miserable doing it. I mean, we can bring this stuff on. Yeah. You know, it's you know, in a lot of ways, it's no different than going to batting practice. Yeah. It's no different than learning how to cook an omelet. It's no different. It's like there, and somebody brought this up in the workshop. There are actual practical skills that you can use to get better at this. Mm -hmm. To you know, where it gets easier, where you have resources to to let you into it, and resources that can you can use to get you out of it. Right. If it does start to get hard. Yeah. But if you don't know what those resources are and you don't have those tools available to you, you're at the whim. Yeah. And what are you at the whim at? Shameless brain will take over and just start spinning all kinds of 
yeah. evening cable news, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> National Enquirer be, you know, is nothing on what I can think of. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's like, so the brain is shameless. It is also beautiful and brilliant. It and can do math. Yeah, it can do math. Yeah. Good for it. Right? Yeah. But I mean. It can read words. It can yeah. turn symbols into narrative. It can. Right. It can do lots do of all things. all kinds of stuff. But so much of this, I mean, so much of existence, right, is just so paradoxical. Well, no, this is really here. <laughs> it's all kabuki. It's all kabuki, right? It's all mental generated. Yeah. But it's fascinating. The interactive visual model of the world around us. This isn't actually here. Yeah. Just constructed neural model, you know? Welcome to the Matrix. Yeah, well, yeah, literally. That's why yeah. the Matrix was was such a movie. You know, it's like, yeah, that's sort of the way it goes. That's how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's so fascinating because, you know, we, you know, like, we're recording a podcast and we're poking fun at how absurd it is that anyone would record thoughts right like both of those things yeah are they're both true, true. they both are true and and you have to laugh at that yeah and it's just but but that's what it's what this world is yeah and and i think that's what i love like it's just yes like wow they're they're being hypocrites of course they of course are we're they're being humans <laughs> have you met humans hypocrisy is fun well right? and of course you but, can always just turn it off if you want to as well so i mean it's yeah, like i'm good i'd rather you listen to it but yeah but I mean, like, it's, it's, I, there's low risk of harm. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort Hopefully. of okay. It's, it's okay. But I also just think it's so interesting because I think that points to this this thing that's so interesting to me about humans, which is that if you look at our actual needs structure, like we both need consistency and variety. Yeah. Right. And so there are ways in which. Like, that's why we even panic at the idea of hypocrisy is because we want consistency. Yeah. But then we also want the space to change our minds yeah, and to push right. back and to see nuance. And and I think that's one of the reasons in some ways that compassion is so important is because, like, you are going to be inconsistent. You are going to, like, think weird things. You're going to suffer. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. Yeah, and, and that's sort of the countercultural part of it, though. I mean, if you think about politics, it's like the worst thing that a politician can do is change their mind because then they're, they're flip-flop, they're wishy-washy, they're waffling on an issue, you know, and, I mean... Our minds change about stuff every day. Yeah. You know, it's called, I mean, it's called growth. Yeah. You know, so it's like we we value consistency so hard, but we strive for a wild card in our daily life and and, and novelty. Yeah. It's like, it's not like there's not a social cost for it. Yeah. You know, for, for changing your mind. And therefore, compassion's a good idea, you know? It is. It's like, yeah. ooh, that politician has changed their mind, you know, showed a little growth. Now they're seeing something different. They're really getting dinged for being wishy-washy or flip-floppy. May their suffering be brief. Eesh. Yeah. You know, you're, you're penalized for, for living the human condition. Yeah. Honestly. But, I mean, but in those situations, like, we can have compassion for both the politician and the person calling out the wishy-washiness, yeah, right. right? Like, so... The politician is changing their minds because additional information has come to light. They've grown. They've changed. Circumstances have changed. Life's changed. Whatever, right? So 
they need to respond to the emerging situation that they now find themselves in. Right. So they change their mind. But over here on the other side, we have, you know, stakeholders in the community who need to understand what's happening in their community and value consistency so that they can act within their community and they enjoy the security that might come from what has been promised to them. Right. And so we can see right. why a change might be alarming. Yeah. Both are true. Both are true. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, just between us with the center we have on campus now and all this, it's like the more confident we are in in our task and our resource base, the more confidently we can do what we're doing and the better literally everything is. Yeah. You know, it's when it's when you're never really sure. You don't really know. It's like, eh, no. Like, it gets hard to operate, mm-hmm. you know, because you're never really sure if something's going to get yanked in a week or not. Should I even bother knowing how tenuous things are? Yeah. And the answer is, I don't know. We like security. <laughs> we like security and we bore easily. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. Well. We, I would love if the universe was totally predictable and I'd be bored stupid in a day and a half. You know? Yeah. I mean, thank goodness. Like, I've been thinking about what's happened in the last year, right? Yeah. Thank goodness we didn't get what we wanted. Right. right. It's been right. delightful. Yeah. We got we got what we didn't know we wanted. Right. right. Super cool. You know, and, and looking back on what what would life be like if I would have stayed in the whatever that I was in however many years ago or how would life be like if I didn't make that hard decision however many years ago to do this thing? I mean, everybody's got their own story about this. Right. You know, every time we look back at those, I think we think, thank God that we <laughs> that we got out of that. Thank God that we said yes to this. So thank God we said no to that. Yeah. Thank God. Um and it's the, I mean, you, you never really, and this is why non-judgment is so important. Mm-hmm. You never really know what the consequences or outcome of a situation are going to be. You know, things can go from being a catastrophe to a blessing in the in the blink of an eye. Yeah. You know, just because, I mean, it's, it's, you, we are unable to predict what the, what the implications of something can be. Yeah. So. The thing you're miserable that you, but that to stay at because you're invested in. All of a sudden, now you can do this other thing that brings a tons of joy. Yeah. You know? Well, it's been really interesting because today, towards the end of our workshop, we talked a little bit about morning pages um, and the idea, which we've probably talked about on the podcast before, the idea of from Julia Cameron's Artist Way, like writing three pages, blah, blah, blah. And so I've been doing this and I still do it. And it started as a practice to try to unlock creativity, but now... Like we talked about it as a compassion project Mm -hmm. today. It's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons that I really like going back and looking at my old pages is partially because um, you're giving me a look that, well, you're looking at the recorder in a way that makes me nervous. I'm just running home and get roped into this with the morning pages thing. Oh. We, we do them very differently. Oh, we do. We do. Absolutely. Okay. But what I was going to say about it is... For me, one of the reasons I like going back and looking at it is because it's a way that I kind of build trust in the universe Mm. because I can go back and I can look at like the suffering that I had in the past and where I was and 
like I feel so much compassion for my former self because she just didn't know. Mm. Right. And it's like, oh, honey, like, yes, I know that's that seems so scary. And you didn't know what was going to happen next. And that was so disappointing. But it gets so much better. Right. Like, I love being able to. I love being able to look back at that because then what it allows me to do, because I think I'm ultimately an optimistic person, is when I face suffering today, it helps me to say, this is really hard right now, but I can't see the big picture. Yeah. And so just hang on because like because it sounds cheesy, but the the blue sky days come. Yeah, I mean, the phoenix rises from the ashes, you yeah. know? It always does. Yeah. It always does. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't that doesn't call us to minimize or ignore painful things. Right. It's like, what, what that means is, no, you can just stay with it. You know, you can, you can stay with the truth of what's happening right now and the honesty of it, fully present without having to bypass it, fully embrace it, and it'll change. I guarantee it. Yeah. Something will spin out of this, you know, that's going to be different than what's happening now. So stay with it. It, yeah. it is your life after all. This is what it is. Right. It's not, it's not getting in the way of your life. It's not preventing your life. It literally is your life. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. So if you're trying to sidestep it, you're missing it. Yeah. And probably a good half of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There was a moment in um, a workshop we've done recently where someone had shared a challenging experience. And I felt like we were able to all, like, experience that challenging experience. And then a few minutes later, something was offered that was, like, a joyous thing that came from a resolution to... Right. Right, right, right. right. And... and it, and I didn't camp out on it in the moment, but there was this part of me that really wanted to think about the only reason that we were able to have joy and celebrate this really minute thing is because it came after all this suffering. Yeah. Like the two were right. connected. Like right. the, the suffering actually made the joy possible. Yeah, totally. You know, it's like you can't just celebrate like, winning the marathon you have to suffer through the training first right right and the other way around too though i mean the joy makes the suffering possible yeah you know because suffering and joy have these strange almost and i don't want to say antagonistic sort of uh, oppositional forces i mean suffering remind you know suffering and compassion remind us of our connectedness joy sometimes tricks us into thinking that we actually did something on our own (laughs) you know you know whenever we whenever we do something well or good, or right, or that we're celebrated for, or that is, is joyful. Those are fantastic. It feels great. Do more of it. Yeah. You know, but then your brain says, that's because of you. You did that. Yay, good job. And it's like, and welcome to the path of destruction, right? Because yeah. then we start doing effort and trying and all this other kind of stuff. And yeah. That's why um, it's, it's a good reminder for all of us, the nature of the, uh, the benefits of the team sport. It's mm. like... That's why I don't like the MVP awards. Oh. You know, in sporting, it's like the Super Bowl MVP. It's like team effort. Team effort? I don't know. Do you like team participation effort? trophies? No, I hate participation trophies. Ah. Like what? 
know. I just, it's an interesting <laughs> like nuance, right? Like, good job. Here's a trophy. Whatever. You don't want everyone. You don't want Maybe one person didn't. to get more credit, but you don't want everyone to receive some credit. Well, participation credits are good if everyone gets one. Well, if but if I mean this is the old argument. It's like, but if everybody gets one, then how's that different than nobody getting one? What's the objective here? What are we getting? What are we getting out of this? Yeah, what are we I mean, out of this? but we do this too. It's like we give you lunch, we give you lunch, but that's just because we like to feed people. But it's not a trophy. It's not a trophy because we. Well, we've talked about this before. It's like, should we give certificates to the people who go to our workshop? Say, good job, you've completed. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, so I think so. So this whole thing comes to a discussion of reward. Like praise and blame. That brings us to the point of this podcast. Right? Right? <laughs> so <laughs> now we're getting to it. Now we're but, getting to it. But yeah. it comes to like, are we praising people or are we rebuking people? Right. Right. Okay. So the MVP, somebody gets praised and, you know, maybe they're not going to give out a, a trophy or an anti-trophy. I don't know. Sack of coal. Right. Like. What is it? Yeah, that, that you'll lose something. Somebody's taken from you if you lose. Right. right yeah. But like, take a trophy that you got previously <laughs> yeah. and give it to the winners. <laughs> that bowling trophy you got in fifth grade. Well, that's that kind of how the Stanley the, Cup works, it right? It kind of does. They yeah. <laughs> take, the, take the trophy from the last team and give it, <laughs> and to, the give it to the winners. But it's, so this whole idea of like praising or rebuking, it seems like a good thing to do. But I don't think... I am toying with the idea that it's completely worthless. Mm. And the only thing I can offer in its stead, and this is very much influenced by the fact that I just finished reading this book, uh, The Courage to be Disliked. Mm. And so something that shows up in that book is sort of stepping away from praise or rebuke and instead embracing essentially gratitude, which we both roll our eyes at. But I think I'll offer instead the word encouragement, mm. right? Like, so we don't mm. need to praise or rebuke people, but what if in all things we embrace encouragement? I can get behind that. So I, I don't think anyone that. needs yeah. a certificate from, for coming to our workshops, but how can we offer them encouragement because they did? You know, I would want to offer people encouragement even if they didn't, mm. you know, because we encourage people to, we do. I mean, we encourage people to come to another one. We encourage people to attend one. Right. So we encourage people, we encourage regardless, people regardless of what they, yeah, because we have colleagues, like for example. I wouldn't, I wouldn't in the, in the advertisement though, I wouldn't say I wouldn't encourage you not to attend. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, but yeah. you know, today I think we had um, colleagues who did not attend our workshop. We did. Most of our colleagues didn't attend. Right. We have a lot of colleagues. Yeah. So, um, but we were still able to encourage colleagues for how they did choose to spend their day. Totally. Um, so yeah, I just like, yeah. I don't, I'm not yeah. sure. There was another event going on at the same time as ours and it's a good one. Yeah. 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 So it's like, yeah, people had options. Yes. In fact, I was slightly disappointed that I, was not able to attend another event. I would have gone if I would have if Me I were too. not attend, going to my own. If we were not limited in the number of Fridays <laughs> yeah. in our semester. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know, I guess like, what am I trying to tease out here? I'm trying to tease out what is it in us that thinks a certificate for coming to our events is needed, meaningful, useful, a good idea. Like, cause I feel it too, but like, what's the drive? Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, People like it when they get certificates. Should, should we give people little fake diplomas if they complete Compassion 101, 102, and 201 for their minor in Compassion Studies? Yes. Let's do it. Totally. Excellent. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think people like to know that they did something, you know? I, think, I don't know. So it's acknowledgement. You have one on your wall right there. It says Doctor of Philosophy. Mm, I do. That was important. We can take that down. Who needs these certificates of Well and it's that your participation trophy for graduate school? I have one too. I have Arnold so, Schwarzenegger signed mine. Oh, well, that's fancy. Yeah. Right below that <laughs> Doctor of Philosophy, I have one that says Outstanding service to the college. Yeah, I don't have one of those. 2016. I don't have one of those. No, you don't. I think you might have been nominated the same year. I think year. I was. Wah, wah. Loser. You know what's funny about that? It was after I got that award and stood on stage right after that, that Paul Fitzgerald linked to me on LinkedIn. Well, you know what? What can I say? So he was like, well, if I'm not going to win the award, good for her. Good for let her. me let me invite her into my world. Yeah, I'll do her a favor and link to her on LinkedIn. And then we'll be friends forever. <laughs> friends forever. Besties. Um, so. What an interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why people. I mean, I mean, I like getting certificates. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. I have gotten certificates that I've been resentful of, though. Well, when the date's wrong and the years... Yeah, I don't need this bullshit certificate. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't need a certificate. For what this, if we you know? gave people... They vary in their meaning for mm. me. You know, I, I guess that's what the certificate represents that I think makes it a winner. For, I mean, I wouldn't just hang any certificate on the wall. Yeah. I mean, the ones that hang on the wall are the ridiculous ones and the ones that are actually... That was a lot of hard work. Can we give people compassion certificates? Totally. We, have, we have seen your suffering. Yeah. May it be brief. Yeah, it be. 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad idea. I don't know. But I mean, what what is the what is the reward for one who you know lives a life of compassion? I mean, I think that's the conversation. Like what is what what is the good? We talked about this. What is the good that comes out of it? I mean, why why do it? Isn't it just easier to you know destroy your enemies and get everything you can no. for yourself. You know, what is, the, what is the good in living a life of compassionate awareness? Freedom. You know, what, what, what good does it do? You know, and for me, you know, it's like, well, I don't miss half my life wishing I was doing something else or wishing it wasn't what it was. You know, it's authentic. Yeah. It's like, no, this is the life you got and this is it. So pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't want to miss it. I mean, I really do think like, I think I tried to live a life where I thought the job was to be the best. And my second name literally means the best yeah, or the better, right? right. Um, and so this idea of like trying to get to the pinnacle, trying to be 
the best, the one, the blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's a path of destruction. And so like, what does one get from stepping off that path? And I really do think it's freedom. Like there is so much more ease to be had in a life of compassion. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I sleep better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does one do the day after one wakes up with the outstanding service to the college award? I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> well, what's funny, right, is, I mean, there, there's a deep irony in this world. Like, what, do you, what do you do on the morning after? So uh, that... Um, to what more could one aspire? I received that award in 2016, which was, by and large, the hardest year yeah, of my I've, life. I've heard you say that. Yeah. So... Not not in the hard way because amazing things keep happening to you that are awesome. It was a, it seems like it was a challenging year. It was. Yeah. So it's not like everything was so great it was hard. Yeah. Or difficult. It was no, it was challenging stuff happened that year. It was a poop year. It was a poop year. Um uh so yeah. 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 <laughs> so on that note, no, that? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But I mean, it's yeah, I mean, the question, like, what do you do the morning after you win, like, on a major award? It's it's the same as what do you do the morning after you become a doctor? Yeah, that's the smartest you'll ever be in your entire life. It's downhill from... Yeah. You'll never have more information on your brain than the day after you get your doctorate. Yeah. And from there on out, is just forgetting stuff. But it's, it's not forgetting, it's it's pairing. Yeah. Pruning. What else? What don't I need anymore? What, what do I not need anymore? Yeah. And how do I get it out so I can put other stuff in? Yeah, but, you know, this question of, like, what do you do the morning after or or how do you reflect back on something? I was thinking about this during the workshop and I didn't end up saying it. But, you know, one thing about compassion is I don't think I've ever gotten up the day after and said, wow, I can't believe I was that compassionate. I really wish I didn't do that. Mm. Like, I've never regretted compassion. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? Totally. And so there's so many things in life that I think people go to bed and they're wondering, ooh, should I have, ooh, I can't believe I, I don't think compassion's one. Like, I don't know a lot of people who like just, you know, rack their brains at, ooh, why was I so compassionate? And so I think it's a, it's a pretty safe thing to- It is, it is super safe, you know, and I, I, I do sort of- reason through a little bit. I mean, it's not a reason to do something, but I can get there intellectually pretty easily. It's just like, well, if I'm going to live my life some way, it's not the worst. I'm probably probably going to do not a lot of permanent harm to anyone if I do it this way versus a different one. Um, It seems like it's probably the least harmful way to live. Mm -hmm. If I like people, which I purport to do. I've heard you say it. Yeah. Um, it's probably not the worst way to go. Seems all right. Seems all right. I mean, the alternatives have measurable destruction that can be attributed to yeah. them. So it's like, do I want to sort of live a life where it's, hey, it sounds like it's a pretty good idea to me. It might work. Or live one where it's like, I can guarantee pain and suffering in others based on my actions. It's like, I'll go for the first one every time. Yeah. You know? Um, it's not people-pleasing. And it's no. not, you know trying to just be safe it's like oh, it seems like a pretty good way to go mm-hmm. you can sleep pretty good at night knowing you want a d-hole yeah 
There it is. There it is. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, there's that. Thanks, this Paul. Was the, this was the download after the three-hour Compassion 101 mm-hmm. workshop Friday afternoon. Yeah. Which is about does it for the week. It does. There's not much left to be done this day. There's not. I'm giving a COVID shot here in an hour or so. You are. Uh, to the anti-COVID shot, I guess I should say. Yes. Omicron yes. boostered. And, uh, and I will get boosted going tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, you're going tomorrow? I am going tomorrow. Very cool. So. You're getting the double. You're getting the flu sh- the flu COVID hybrid. Yep. So one shot or two? Two shots. Two, it's the two shot. Yeah, they were talking about doing it. We moved into the science section. They were talking about doing a, like a hybrid shot where you get both COVID in. Yeah. So I'm just getting it. the I think Pfizer still, and a flu. I think that's still farther off. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. In the future. But cool. yes. What a compassionate thing to do to yourself and those around you. Indeed. Perfect. Very cool. cool. Have a good night, Paul. You too. And uh, have a lovely day, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this one. In about a month, you'll hear the download, intellectual download from after the Compassion 102 yeah. <laughs> workshop. Uh, we'll tell you how it goes. Stay tuned for whatever happens. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye.